Crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels, a casual conversation. This is Video Game Crosstalk, episode 013, the monthly podcast of gamers talking tech, science, and whatever else comes to mind. I am your host, Anthony DeRossi, and with me this week is returning guest, Mulehorn117 from the Mulehorn Gaming Podcast. Mulehorn, thanks for being here. Alright, so normally this is where... My guests and I would have a little back-and-forth banter about fatherhood, what games we're currently playing, uh, some other background stuff, just catch up with life, you know, those kinds of things. Unfortunately, Mulehorn had some technical difficulties on his end, so the next 15-20 minutes or so of audio was lost. Uh, Some things that we talked about were, like I mentioned, just fatherhood, how Mulehorn had debilitating food poisoning, possibly, you know. The usual kind of stuff. So basically what I'm trying to say is, we now join our existing podcast already in session. I'm okay. back. It was weird. It kind of cut for a second. Okay, so did you hear everything I just said? Uh, playing video games is actually more like active. It's interactive and it's like active consumption of entertainment as opposed to watching a sitcom or something on TV where you just got you sit there and it's more of a passive thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, you know, here's some interesting stats. I wrote an article uh, a few weeks ago about this. There was some interesting data that came out uh, that just in the U.S., video games is a $22 billion industry. That was in 2015. That's a lot of cash. 2016, $30.4 billion. Oh This is something that's even more interesting. Average gamer age is 35, oh, yeah. and 71% of gamers are above the age of 18. Yeah, you know, so, like, and this can be an entire podcast, like, in and of itself, where, like, I have been the quintessential face of the average gamer, the white male yeah. age 35. Like, yes, hello, hi, <laughs> here I am. I am the, the face of the average statistical yeah. uh, gamer. But it's like our generation, and a little ahead of us, grew up with the, the Atari, with the... the original Nintendo with the Commodore 64 with whatever else you want to call it and games and the gaming industry matured with us so it's it's still fun it's still relevant to us so yeah I'm gonna continue playing you know and and just to bring it back to your other point about the stories are just better than most TV nowadays it's like if I turn on the TV now I'm gonna hear another cop show or another doctor show that's gonna go through the same drama And I'm just like, can I get something original? <laughs> you know? Oh my goodness! I mean, the spinoffs of spinoffs. Like, I get it. Yeah. There's a, how many different ways can yeah. we kill each other and find out who the true killer is within the last five minutes of the episode? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. All right, so we're going to move on. Let's get into some uh, tech news, tech and science. And in the show notes, I threw a whole bunch of <laughs> articles at you. 
Let's see what we can actually get to. I'll include all of these articles into the show notes, whether or not we get to them, because all of these are definitely worth discussing. It's just a matter of you know, how many we can actually fit into one uh, podcast. Uh, first one we could touch on real quick, starting right at the top of the list, new window screens filter air pollution or filter pollution from the air. And this is from Scientific American. Uh, did you get a chance to take a look at these? Yeah, this is actually quite fascinating especially for like if you lived in hong kong Mm -hmm. uh because i know when i visited there it was crazy how much smog was there really i have not had the uh the opportunity to do much traveling overseas the the only time i've crossed this great pond of ours was to go to my cousin's wedding in uh scotland which was an absolute blast um, think, and think if anyone ever has Hong the opportunity Kong. to do some serious traveling, uh, do it. Just absolutely do it. It changes your perspective on the world. I mean, just that one, one tr- like week long trip uh, really puts things into perspective. And go to like a historical site or a museum or something. Like when I was in Scotland, we went to uh, a tour of Castle Edinburgh, and just to think that. These castles and these walls were constructed like two, three hundred years before the United States was a thing. Really yeah. puts into perspective how young our culture actually is. But um, so go ahead. You were in Hong Kong and terrible smog. Yeah, I was just saying. Just think New York with the the crowd level. And uh, what was interesting to me, I mean, you know, I'm, I, here I am, small. Texas boy out in Hong Kong walking the streets and everyone around me had these masks on. And I was like, why do they have these masks on? And I started looking up at the horizon. I'm like, Hey, there's fog. And my friends, you know, country bunking. I hear my friends like, no dude, that's smog. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, so, I mean, if that can help in places like that with your living conditions, I mean, yeah, fantastic. That's pretty awesome. So yeah. these screens are basically screens that you would put over your window and, Variety of blown spun polymers. All right, so rubber. They're they're air filters, is what they pretty much are, and they're made in a way so we got some pollutant absorbing nano. So we got nanofibers onto this nylon mesh, and that's what's trapping all of the particulate. And it is claiming, according to this article, and it is claiming, according to this article, that it filters out ninety percent of the particulate out of the air. That is fantastic. That's like crazy. That's crazy future tech right there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I mean, what I think is worth you know noting is or discussing on top of this is that is great, and it will help keep the the nastiness on the outside. But I think that's more of like holding it off until you find a better solution to actually take care of the original problem itself. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It's like. It's like a band-aid. Yeah. So like we this will hold it off for now, but we need to work on like the actual cause of the situation. Mm-hmm. So but still, I mean, even if we put this into maybe like other types of hospital settings or clean room type settings, it's it's another step forward in uh, those applications as well. So good on them for uh finding some of that specific uh does it say if it was Specifically made for smog, scientists. Pollution, filter pollution okay. is what it says. So, either way, twelve-hour field test on a window in Beijing. So you know, yeah, it's uh, 
it's good stuff, but one step forward, or just kind of to hold the line, so to speak, as uh, we look yeah. for you know, better solutions. So, awesome on that. Uh, what else we got? All right, something I definitely uh, want to make sure that we get into a discussion is uh, jumping ahead a little bit on the show notes is this device collects water from clouds. Oh, I was hoping you'd bring this up because the first thing I thought of when I saw this, mm -hmm. Star Wars. Really? About how they had moisture, when they had moisture farms and how they, they were on Tatooine and they were able to collect moisture out of a arid environment. So the first thing I thought of was like, this is like some Star Wars tech here. Nice. I, <laughs> um, so I sadly, and this is, you know, where I lose some type of a geek cred. Um, I am not a full blown Star Wars fanatic, so what? I don't remember where in the series that would have been. So which was that in one of the movies or in one so of the, it's go ahead. Yeah. in new hope, uh, it's a moisture farm where Luke, uh, lives okay. and also rogue one. It's a moisture farm. Uh, where Jen is kind of they're hiding out at. All right, nice. See, I haven't seen Rogue One yet, so I may have yeah. to see Rogue One just so I can see this moisture farm, <laughs> as it's called. Yeah, it's like you'll see these little devices out there. Uh, like in Rogue One, you see a device that's sitting out in kind of a rocky area with a droid, and then you see these farms behind it. It's collecting the moisture to be able to raise a crop. Nice. It's pretty pretty ingenious, and it, like at this article we're just seeing here, it, it reminded me of it. So, cool. Well, tech becoming reality. So um, this one in particular, uh, it's called Cloud Fisher, and the picture that's included in the article, uh, the to read the the quote here, mesh billboards on the Moroccan mountainside will soon be joined by numerous others, a planned 31 and all to create the world's largest fog collection facility. So the way that these work is that they are, they look like big stretched panels of chain link fencing from afar. And they're obviously a bit more complicated than that, but for the visual, let's say like uh, a finer mesh of, chain link fencing and the idea is that clouds and fog uh, actual fog not smog <laughs> as opposed to the previous article we just discussed <laughs> uh they pass through and the clouds will oh, pass through, and the water vapor and the droplets will condense on the mesh and at the bottom of each mesh is it looks like a trough uh that's basically what it is. It's a trough. And as the droplets condense on each surface, they combine into bigger droplets, and the drops you know, eventually fall down and cascade down, and you eventually get a slow trickle of water uh, to be collected. So I mentioned this at the office, and I think a great place to have this type of uh, facility, I guess we'll call it, this type of setup, would be over in California. In the Rockies, oh, yeah. possibly, yeah. or I mean, any area that is arid, uh, but California in particular, because I know that's where a lot of farms are. Um, I think they do a lot of like almonds out there, and it takes a ton, like gallons upon gallons of water per actual almond harvested. Wow. Yeah, so even though we do drink well or uh, almond milk here at the house, it's like, oh crap, we're feeling a little. <laughs> we're aiding 
Yeah. Yeah. Trout. Ah, but like it'd be so great. And I mean, as far as transporting the water from whatever mountaintop it may be uh, set up in, I mean, basically you just need not even, well, depending on how many walls you put up, doesn't really need much of a uh, pipeline system because if you're up in the mountains to begin with, just let gravity do its thing. That's what I was thinking. Just let gravity do it. Heck yeah. Wow, it's, it's amazing how many leaders they're saying they'll get from these mesh. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, why don't you read off that stat for me? Yeah, they're saying uh, daily water harvest has been between 6 to 22 liters per square mesh of uh, per square meter of mesh. There you go. So that, that'll produce roughly 37,400 liters of water per foggy day. Yeah, so unfortunately that is per foggy day. And I'm glad that they... Uh, to add that little bit in there rather than just say, oh yeah, we get 37,000 liters of water a day. No, it's per foggy day. Yeah. Which, you know, it's yeah. important to make that distinction. But still, that's a lot of water. I mean, you're not going to be running a farm off of it, unfortunately. Because even though that is a ton of water, farms take a ton. <laughs> a metric yeah. ton of water as well. But, I mean, it, any. Any water you're able to harvest at all is more than zero. So, fantastic. Yeah, it, it's. I would say uh, this would be great for places like California who are struggling in that uh, with their water and, and whatnot. And just reading this as well, it says, you know, even with the totals on average, about 18 liters of water per day mm-hmm. for drinking alone. So that's that's still pretty incredible. That is significant. That is a significant amount of water. Yeah. So, yeah, very cool. All right, and I think uh, last article for the tech portion of this is uh, I found this article, you know, surfing around the webs, the interwebs, if you will. It's on digital trends, cool tech, the future of food production. And the headline is, can tech help us feed a population of 9 billion plus? Welcome to the future of food. And this is like the intro article to what will what is a series of, I think, four other articles. And this kind of dips back onto a previous episode. I believe it's episode four. But I'll check and post the link in the show notes to begin with. I had my friend Joe Berman on, who is a sustainability expert. And one of the stuff that we discussed was the future of agriculture and how we are going to be able to feed a population uh, that's continuously growing. So a few of the things that they discuss and we can chat about each one is um, the first one. If you scroll down to the article, uh, uh, this doesn't give a small snippet for each. Humans have been using genetic modification for centuries. Um, yeah, even though working with the genes directly is relatively new, we've been using methods like selective breeding uh, for mm-hmm. centuries, which is basically the same oh, yeah. thing, but you know, done in a quote natural end quote way. But uh, basically, scientists what they're doing by uh, working with you know, the uh, genetic modification is to establish new strains of vegetables and you know produce that require less water, uh, or that are resistant to different diseases, or. Uh, and it's painful to say this, but these are discussions worth having. Um, I had a discussion with Joe Berman and my wife, actually. The idea of like 
certain companies like ConAgra or Monsanto, where they splice the genetic or like the, the chemical sequence of Roundup, um, yeah, the, the weed killer, into the genetic sequence of like corn. Oh yeah. And my knee-jerk reaction was like, "Well, that's a terrible idea, and we'll get people sick, um, and just bad all around." But then, you know, even they mentioned like, "Well, think about it. What if?" that pesticide is confined to the genetic structure of the corn husks that you do not eat. And right. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's actually kind of cool. So it's in the, the corn husks. You don't eat that part. You throw it away. And with that, you no longer have the need for topical application. So that also reduces water runoff from rainwater and reduces contamination in the groundwater itself. So so I'm like that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, some of this this technology they're doing with agriculture is pretty groundbreaking. I remember, I mean, being a farm kid myself growing up on the farm, I remember when uh Roundup Ready cotton was a big deal cuz I grew up in West Texas, which is, you know, that area there is cotton, cotton farms. You got a few farms and, out in the air, area? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh and that Roundup Ready cotton was was pretty amazing because of all of the time and labor you spent on just taking care of the land was cut in half. Really? So, and it's and it's. I mean, this is getting into a little bit too much, but uh, as a smaller time farmer, it's really hard to make it nowadays uh, with the bigger, you know, mega farms and whatnot. Um, so, any way that you can help reduce certain costs and also maintain a great crop. It helped them a ton, and there's no drawbacks to that for cotton. I mean, you don't eat cotton, but uh, well, cotton's used all over the place. I yeah, mean, it is exactly everywhere. So, yeah, yeah. But I remember when that, and I was like, "What? This is? I don't have to go out and hoe weeds anymore." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that bad of an idea, you know. What's yeah? But it's like you need to get past the initial shock of some of the genetic modification. And like, yeah. actually understand what is being done, and uh, once and once you understand a good amount of it, you can you know breathe. Uh, it's okay. We're gonna be okay. <laughs> um, and like, what is being done isn't necessarily going to hurt us. I'm not going to condone all forms of genetic modification because it's gets a little dicey depending on what's being done. But uh, some of these things, like uh, again the. Uh, requiring less water to grow properly or disease, you know, tolerant or, or they produce higher yield. I mean, it's good stuff. There's a lot of stuff yeah. that um, can be done to reduce the workload on the farmers themselves and actually make the, the, the environment, the local environment a bit healthier. It's just, it's just a coming with the times, man. I think with technology, mm -hmm. because like I think about this and this is infertility, um, I have some friends that, um, based on their genetics, if they have children, there's a high likelihood that they're going to have some type of disability, mm -hmm. but with their second child, they were able to have the doctors isolate certain eggs that wouldn't produce that. And then they use the good eggs for them to get pregnant again. Oh, so wow. that they would not. It's crazy. I don't know how they did that. I just remember hearing them talk about that. And then when they had their second child, I was like, that's crazy that you can even do that. You know, yeah. well, good for them. Congratulations to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty wild. 
All right, so that's for the genetic modification. Moving on, a uh, couple of these other things. Um, Hydroponics is mentioned. So there's a guy, of course, in the white cotton lab coat, and uh, he's looking at this hydroponic setup with just rows of smaller veggies at this point. But um, so hydroponics, indoor agriculture sounds all cool and uh super high tech but again just they have this little snippet in there that and things that i wouldn't even think to consider until i you know spoke to someone or read an article that's actually in the know since it's indoors it's away from all the harsh weather conditions and everything that goes on with the outside the proverbial outside so they're not going to need herbicides and pesticides right because they're indoors I'm like, oh my god, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You don't. You're not gonna have bugs. <laughs> You're not gonna have. Well, yeah, theoretically, yes, you know, because they'll, yeah, <laughs> they'll get in eventually. They'll, they'll get in, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> greatly reduced, greatly reduced. Um, so yeah, they talk about um, the different advances in you know hydroponic agriculture. So there's a bunch of other things in here. Yeah, I completely dismiss it. Tried to sound all smart. But the other stuff, <laughs> the words and things. Big words. <laughs> Big words. Yes, I talk good. Um, but yeah, there are several other points that are made in this article. Um, but something that I didn't get to bring up uh, when Joe Berman was on, and I had, I was very close to like an internet style breakdown when I was at the local grocery store uh, a week or so ago. And uh, it has to do with that other article that I sent you. That's uh, it's in the show notes, and it's for mm-hmm. misfit foods or misfit produce. So, here's the story. I live up here in like upstate New York, and living in New York, everything is more expensive because New York loves taxes, loves their taxes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I went shopping the other day, and one of the local chains, well. One of the chains around here called Hanford Supermarkets, they stock a produce line called Misfit Produce. And what the idea is, is that we waste and throw away billions of tons of produce because it doesn't look pretty. Like the apple's a little lopsided or the cucumber curls too much. And it doesn't fit the visual concept of what fresh, beautiful produce is supposed to look like. So it doesn't meet spec. And it's thrown away because it's, quote, defective. What Misfits does is they buy up all those ugly fruits and sells them at a discount. Awesome. It's kind of like going to your local farmer's market and like, you know, here are the apples we have. Have at it. Or if you go there to you go. You know, any of the orchards... Uh, some of the orchards that we go to locally, they, they'll they have just bushels and bins set aside of what they call utility apples. And basically they're whatever type of apple, but they're, you know, they're not pretty. But they sell it at a yeah. deeper discount. You can buy, you know, like, I don't know, 10 pounds of apples for like $6 or something like, something crazy like that. So back at Hannaford, at the supermarket... They're stocking these misfit avocados, and I don't know what the prices are like down in Texas, but again, up here in New York, everything's expensive, and you can get a four-pack of these avocados for two fifty, 
two dollars fifty cents. Yeah, I'm like that's really cheap. Usually when avocados are on sale up here, they're like a dollar a piece. Yeah. So these avocados four pack two fifty. I look like no more than two aisles over, and there is like the stand of avocados, and they're like a dollar fifty a piece. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, rage. <laughs> Because, like, why is food so expensive? Why does it have to be so expensive? We throw away tons of food every day, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm getting on this, like, super liberal tirade in my head (laughs) of people living in poverty (laughs) and people who can't afford to eat actual food, so they're reduced to getting the discounts uh, processed food from center store yeah. and we're just throwing away food and here it is it's cheap <laughs> it's perfectly fine it just doesn't look pretty so how oh, do you guys have uh, any misfit food does that brand sound familiar in your area you know uh i don't know about that but we have tons of farmer markets fantastic uh, that's a- Living in Austin, though, I mean, there's, I mean, we have some here locally in the little burbs where I live in, and all over Austin, they're they're just everywhere. So yeah, and I highly I suggest uh, going to farmers markets. Do you go to many of the farmer markets yourself? Yeah, we've been to a few, and that's the thing that's pretty amazing is like when you bite into a fresh apple, you're like, why does this taste so different than the grocery <laughs> store? Oh, because it's literally just off the tree, it is, you yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, and what's great I think about farmers markets is you're completely cutting out every middleman because it's the yeah. farmer themselves that are setting yep. up shop. Yep. Yeah. So you're, and it's kind of cool because you kind of build that relationship with them. You see, it's see them, you know. Yeah, and it's just it's just great in general. the The food is such a better quality, um, like taste wise. You know, again, it's they're they're selling whatever they can, so you're going to get the. The uh, we're talking about apples, so I'll stick with that. The apples that are a little lopsided, or they got yeah. that weird little blemish on one side. Oh, who cares? Especially if you're gonna, you know, cut it up and put it into a pie. Who really cares if it's a little <laughs> lopsided on one side? Yeah, you're gonna slice it up anyways. Dude, so. seriously. So yeah. like relax. Yeah. So yeah, I just needed to get that off my chest a little bit. So like, if you've got any farmer <laughs> markets close to you or within the area, absolutely go support them because you support like you know local community, local agriculture, the local farmer. And some of it might be more expensive because they're not selling in the same bulk rates as the major farms do. So I mean, unfortunately, that's where a lot of discount comes along is when you. Uh, you deal in mass quantities, so like the per the per unit cost drops down. But it's all, my opinion. It's better, way better, <laughs> <laughs> way better. All right, time for an Audible interlude. For you, the listeners of the Video Game Crosstalk podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash vgxtpod and sign up for your free trial and download one of over 180,000 titles, such as If Chins Could Kill, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor, written by Bruce Campbell and narrated by Bruce Campbell. Just think of it. 
Download this book, and you could have Groovy Bruce himself caress your ear for over 10 hours. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash vgxtpod for your free audiobook. Alright, so we're going to move on to some gaming and geekery now. And uh, yeah. first one, first quick little um, little article I want to get out of the way. It came, to, came from a friend of mine, Louis Norino, and uh, this is just hysterical. Uh, the title of it is Cosplay Goes Bad for Gamer in Grand Prairie. This is kind of funny. So, you know, I have I know a bunch of cosplayers. Um, Louis actually himself has done a little bit of cosplaying here and there. Uh, a lot of video game costumes and outfits and, you know, signature looks and styles. They look really awesome uh, in your game. They're not always appropriate for walking around on the street. So, are you a fan of the Fallout series? Uh, you know, I played a little bit of the first one, but that was about it. That was about but it. Uh, looking at the picture, I'm like, oh, yeah, he, he, he's going to get stopped. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's see if I can find like the appropriate... Dressed as a character from Fallout, a popular post-apocalyptic video game series, the man walked down the street wearing a gas mask, helmet armor and bullet belt and he carried a flag that said new california republic one of the factions from the game and the logo for the for the ncr the new california republic is a two-headed bear so (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know so i was that guy i would have been pulling my pants (laughs) um the guy was on his way to a costumer to get his costume altered and he thought it'd be a good idea to wear his costume while walking down the street and the guy is dressed as one of the rangers from the ncr so he's got the long trench coat and the gas mask (laughs) and the flag that looks like some type of like resistance militia type of thing because in the game it pretty much is it's a new militia that's been formed so concerned citizens and rightly so contacted the police (laughs) I mean, we could laugh about it now. And the police laughed about it afterwards also. So everything's fine. There's a picture of them towards the end where they're just, you can see a visible smile at them just kind of chuckling. Um, Basically, they even called into the shop itself and asked the owner if, you know, if that if the individual was inside, if he was in in a danger, then they guided him to like get like escape out the back entrance. Ah, oh, yeah. SWAT team came in. <laughs> he got swatted. <laughs> he got straight up swatted. Oh, there's another one. What had looked like a bomb turned out to be several Pringles potato chip containers that were painted silver. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, this is cosplay safe, people. There's a time and place for your cosplay. And respect to this guy for having such a convincing costume. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what these cosplayers can do nowadays. Yeah, like, I'm trying to get another one of my followers on here. Her name is Zafael Ray, and she is making an amazing cosplay right now going to try to get her on she's doing like a spider queen thing and she's involving a lot of tech so i'm going to put the i'm going to put the pressure on her come on zofiel you gotta gotta jump on this podcast tell me what you're up to and uh, get some 
get some cool stories and cosplay design going on. But this is it's a legit cosplay. He's got the the body armor, the gas mask. Um, yeah. And wasn't there like similar like warnings at I think some type of like Destiny convention? I th- I'm sure. I, uh, I could be mistaking I mean, it. I, I very well could be mistaking it, but I mean, I can't imagine how many false police reports or warnings or heads up, you know, major cities must get when there are major conventions in town of like, I don't know what's going on, but we got some people in battle armor. Like, Relax, it's just a bunch <laughs> of nerds walking down the street. Yeah. Oh man. So I gotta I gotta plug one of my friends here on Twitter, uh, Barry Armstrong. And uh, he's from uh, Australia, and he makes a Iron Man suit that just got published on ABC in Australia. Really, it looks it looks amazing what he does. Uh, but I'll drop a link in the in there so you can you can see it sometime. Absolutely, so. yeah. Send me the link. I'll definitely throw that into the show notes. Um, cool, awesome. All right, so. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm like stretching here right now in, the, in my <laughs> office. Moving on with some additional gaming and geekery. This this little bit could have gone either way uh, as far as tech or gaming is concerned because even though I'm sure it's been beaten to death on every other podcast and gaming podcast so far, uh, I only do a podcast a month, so I'm going to talk about it here as well. <laughs> and that would be the mm-hmm. Microsoft pulls back the veil on its massively powerful Project Scorpio. Wow. This is this is what I did. Oh. <laughs> I mean, what's really interesting to me on this is uh, how many people that are PC gamers that actually feel a little threatened. Um, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be on the level of a high-performing PC, but it is a mid-range to high-mid-range performance in that area. And oh, yeah. It just—it's a beast of a, of a console, man. Yeah, just like all right. So we're both Xbox gamers. Uh, we, we we've rode down a little bit on Destiny and uh, got a couple matches of multiplayer in on uh, uh, Mass Effect, and it's, we we do love our Xbox. This thing, I don't know exactly how it compares to high end gaming PCs, but the the jump in the numbers, like you don't really need to be much of a, a techie or a computer hardware specialist at all to appreciate the difference in numbers so some of these so project scorpio ditches the slower eight gigabytes of ddr3 ram that both the original xbox one and the xbox one used and replaces it with 12 gigabytes of the super fast gddr5 ram so you're getting a 50 percent jump in total ram and plus you're switching it up from the ddr3 to the gddr5 so the difference between the types of RAM, this is where I'm going to have to admit my ignorance and you know say I really don't know what the difference is, unfortunately. But I can math on occasion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, well, the one of the things that translates to this is load times. Load times are going to be so freaking fast with the Scorpio. Oh yeah. And like I was saying earlier, it's it, from what I've read and what I've seen mostly, people compare it to a mid-level to a mid-high level performing PC. Okay. Uh, and, and what's remarkable is that even if you, like I have, I have a brand new monitor I got for Christmas. It's, it's 1080. Mm-hmm. But if I have a Scorpio, 
I can't play 4K on it, but anything that's at 4K, it's going to change that resolution to the highest I can, it can handle. Right. So that's what's amazing is the scaling as well. But I don't have to go out and buy a 4K TV, but if I wanted to, I could. Right, and it goes into that a little bit in this article. This article is on digital trends, but it talks about the, the sampling where everything will be designed for the 4K, but it will downscale to fit the 1080. Rather mm-hmm. than upscaling to hit the 4K, they're going to design it for and then downscale to fit the uh, the lower resolutions, which is pretty awesome. That's a game changer. That really yeah. is. Like, there's all sorts of things. Um, the first episode of Video Game Crosstalk, I actually had my friend John Muckle, who is a computer science uh, professor over at UAlbany, uh, University of New York and Albany. And uh, he actually explained to us what a teraflop was. So we're going to go ahead and repeat that. Uh, <laughs> a, a flop, yeah, because I learned something on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so can, in computers, everything is some type of math function. It's throwing numbers around and working out variables and com- computer magic. And a flop is a floating point operation. So rather than working with whole numbers to sync things up or do whatever calculations it needs to do, it will use additional decimal point places as well. And all of these floating point operations uh, require more hardware or more horsepower to operate. Mm -hmm. So they're more resource intensive is what it is. So the fact that this thing has six teraflops, I mean, even in the earlier estimated specs, uh, John was just like, wow, that is, that is up there. And uh, <laughs> a couple of the guys at the office, you know, we have one of our IT guys uh, who works with our department. And he, he's reading over my shoulder as I'm showing him the article. And he's just like, well, that's excessive. So yeah, <laughs> by, by, <Give> to me. <laughs> by any metric, by any metric whatsoever, this thing is a beast. Except for hard drive storage, apparently, because you're topping out at one terabyte. But the all right, fine, whatever. Hey, hundred bucks, you get a two terabyte uh, terabyte hard right. drive. Right, you know? that's expandable, so that's that's not an issue. But here is my question: Will this be enough to draw people away from the PlayStation market? What are your thoughts? So. What I okay, I'll start with a good. Okay. In that I think that Xbox is finally getting back to innovating. I felt like the last time they innovated is when they had the 360, and then when they had the OG Xbox come out, uh, they were kind of pushing the limits of some things that what gamers thought in their head was needed. Uh, so of course the PlayStation just took off because they had everything around the PlayStation Four was better. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the Xbox One. The Xbox One was more built for a home entertainment system and a gaming console. Um, right. So with with the Xbox S, with the Xbox Scorpio, I felt like they're finally getting back to innovating. And they're giving you a high-powered machine that's that can handle a lot. Now, what we need, and Phil Spencer has said he's coming out with, you know, he's pushing more funding for first-party games. Okay. We need games. We need games. Yeah, you Xbox, do. I mean, because if you look at PlayStation 4, I have been, if you can get my wife over here, I keep telling her, 
like she went on a girl's trip a few months back and I was like, when you come home, I might have a PlayStation. She's like, no, <laughs> cause I'm like, there's so many good games I want to play on PlayStation, but I don't have a PlayStation. So, Dude. you know, Dude, um, and I'm going to jump back a little bit as far as Innovate is concerned. Xbox did a great job with trying to push the Kinect, and I will mm-hmm. defend the Kinect, even though it obviously failed. But at least they're trying. They're trying to do something new. They're trying to bring new technology. They're trying to d- bring something different. Yeah. And my armchair you know, Monday quarterback analysis of this will be, the Xbox One itself just wasn't powerful enough to handle it. So I think that might be where the the drop was. So the biggest complaint that I've heard over the fanboy console war nonsense is just the just horsepower. The PlayStation has more horsepower and everything consistently looks better. Yeah. And to get to your point about how you might have a PlayStation, dude, depending on what happens with the uh, at E3 and whether or not they offer a destiny bundle i might be jumping ship to playstation yeah i mean it, you just need games you the got games, a high powered at this point at this point both consoles are fantastic for living room entertainment the offers on both of them are evening out at this point yeah. And I dare say that PlayStation might be pulling ahead with their PlayStation View offer. Yeah. Where you can get the TV channels. So oh, yeah. PlayStation is pull, you know, on par. I would say on par with what the Xbox can offer. But man, those first party games. I mean, I really hope for That's Microsoft's future, sake, for the future of the Xbox, that they really bring out some some heavy hitters as far as first-party games are concerned, because right now, what does Xbox have? Yeah, I mean, they basically have uh, Gears of War, Halo, Sea of Thieves. Um, they had, what was that? Uh, gosh, the Dragon game. Dragon Scale? Exactly. Or, it scale got bound. canceled. Scalebound, there we go. Uh, it got canceled. So we're needing some you know, good first-party games. Like, you but you know, it. I gotta say... The only thing that keeps me on Xbox is how good their online system is compared to PlayStation. Because I've had both consoles before. But the online with Xbox, to me, has always been leaps and bounds better, more stable. Mm -hmm. I don't have near as many issues with it. Um, So that's really the only reason why I've hung around with Xbox during the Xbox One phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plus, all my friends are there. Uh, But... I mean, that PlayStation lineup of games is looking good, you know? nasty (laughs) in, like, the best way possible. Yeah. You know, they got... Oh, my God, I've said this list so many times, and I can't remember it right now. Um, God of War, that new one with Kratos in, like, the Nordic environment. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. They got a new Spider-Man coming out. Uncharted. uh, Yep. Last of Us. Yep. <laughs> uh, all the JRPGs that uh, I used to be big and what would be considered the JRPGs, you know, back in the days of the Super Nintendo. But once I kind of morphed into Xbox over the years, it's just like they all disappeared. So yeah. like Nier Automata and uh, Neo, I just don't have the opportunity to play those. Infamous Second Son. And, you know, yeah. there will be a uh, a gameplay reveal on May 18th for Destiny 2. And obviously, you know, there's going to be PlayStation exclusives. You know, there's going to be. Yeah, I don't know if you saw on uh, Call of Duty World War Two, 
there's also going to be a PlayStation 30 day exclusive for map packs. So, you know, PlayStation's killing it with their, uh, exclusives and their, you know, play it first there. They're killing it, man. They really are like play it first. I'm really not too concerned about because you just, you have to wait. Yeah. But like in destiny one, you know, there's, there is a strike that I have never played because I'm on Xbox. Yeah. I have never played that one. It's a Vex strike. I've never played it. I completely forgot it existed. And when I was like looking up different ghosts to get uh, to collect for the uh, Age of Triumph, I'm looking. I'm like, why is what is this strike? I've never heard of it. Oh, it's the PlayStation strike. Completely forgot yeah. that it existed. You know, what, the only thing that kind of irritates me with that is that some of the lore is trapped behind having the PlayStation. I don't know if you've noticed that before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. there, I know there's at least one ghost that you, that is only on PlayStation because of that strike. Yeah. So. so. Uh, <laughs> well, don't get me started on that. <laughs> well, speaking of Destiny, uh, let's move into that a little bit. So there is pretty much nothing that we can say about Destiny that hasn't been said already. So we don't need to really worry about spoilers at this point. Um, Destiny 2 is on its way. It is coming September 9th? 8th. September 8th, worldwide. And this is going to be one of those Friday releases. You know everybody's taking off that Friday to play, right? I already have that day <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, my office offers a uh, 980 compressed work week. So I essentially work nine-hour days. But then to even it out so it's 80 hours every two weeks... Uh, I get every other Friday off. Nice. Yeah, it is pretty nice. So yeah. that is one of my Fridays off. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was kind of funny when I'm... it was released. You know, we're sitting at the office. I'm like, all right, let me mark that on my calendar. And as I'm looking it up, already September. It... <gasps> oh boy. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you know, and I'm cautiously optimistic about the game. Uh, there's a lot of heartburns I had with the first one, but I mean, I, I plugged in 1300 hours into that game. So oh, I don't even obviously know. there's elements of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's elements of it that we keep going and playing it again. Uh, I just hope with one of the things I've said from day one is that I felt like with having to go back and rehash the story and the engine that they used to build the game on really hindered them. Mm hmm. And so I'm hoping now with being able to build it on a platform they can, on the engine they can, knowing where it's going, we're not going to have near the bugs or issues that we, we've we seen with Destiny 1. True. It, it has great gameplay, and it's great gunplay, and it's so addictive. See, yeah, and like, here's here's my take on, I mean, there's comments all over the place that basically um, Destiny has been essentially a beta for Destiny 2. <laughs> um, which I'm not going to entirely disagree with. But here's where I will give Bungie credit. They updated the crap out of this game oh, yeah. to the point where oh, yeah. it's a different game today than what it was uh, day one. It's a completely different game. They've updated everything. The controls are um, have gotten tighter as the years have gone on. The user interface is completely different. There is so much more to do. Granted, you need to have like all the DLC to uh, to do it all, but 
Do it's, you remember playing on 360 and how when you went into the menu to like pop a heavy, you had to wait for like two minutes? Oh dear God, no! I never, uh, <laughs> I never played on the 360. I was, I was a day one alpha consumer for the Xbox One. Okay. Yeah, there was this, something with the technology on the 360s and the uh, PlayStation 3s where it took you like a, a good minute just to have your menu load. Oh, so God. you could pop a heavy synth or something like that or a three of coins, you know. So it took, and so I remember when I played it on Xbox One, I was like, I'm immediately in my menu. Oh, oh, that, <laughs> that sounds painful. Oh, it was. That yeah. sounds painful. I remember doing Omnigal and like needing to pop a heavy and having to run all the way back down at the beginning just to get out of the fire so I yeah. can get in my menu, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's... Yeah. That actually... Yeah, that's painful. That's not even, yeah. like, a quirk or a, uh, like, a strategy-type thing. Like, that. that's a bug <laughs> at that point. But, you know, to, to give them credit, I mean, they had the game playing on 360 and Xbox One or PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. I mean, it's... It's incredible that they had it across those platforms for as long as they oh, did. Oh, yeah. And oh, absolutely. Not as many bugs as they could have had. Mm-hmm. So. And what was the first one to drop the Legacy console? It wasn't Taken King, was it? Was it I Taken think, King? I think it was Taken King. Yeah. Okay. It's when they, they say going forward, it's going to be... Uh, or maybe... No, you know what? I think... No, Taken King was still there. They Somewhere between Taken King and... Uh, I think it was Rise of Iron. Yeah, somewhere in there they 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 dropped it. it. They broke it off. And I remember on that day when it finally did break off, they released a patch, and the resolution on everything jumped up. Went up, yeah. (laughs) Like, noticeably, everything went up. But, uh, so yeah, with Destiny 2, so that's coming in September. We finally have our first couple of trailers, and Cade is hysterical. We all He's love great, man. <laughs> we all love our Nathan Fillion. Yeah, um, but he makes the trailer too. It's hilarious his banter. Oh, it's it's great. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he is the comic relief that the game deserves. Oh yeah, and I hope you know. I really hope that they put more of that in the game, more of the story mode type stuff where I hear that banter more. Because uh, I can't remember. I think it was um, TTK where uh, he had a lot more of that while you played the game. And it just, that's why for me, like when I had the taking King, when I played it, I was like, this is what I always wanted with destiny. This is great. You know? Yeah. Oh, Ares is talking something about breaking the necrotic. Oh, just shoot the thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was taking King where he was featured pretty heavily on everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, moving on to destiny Two. Uh, and speaking about his hysterics in the trailers, he's like, all our stuff is gone. All my stuff is gone. Most <laughs> importantly, my stuff is gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really like, uh, we mentioned this on our podcast, but I really like how you have Zavala mm-hmm. that's talking. And it's like, it's like the two uh, different types of gamers. You have your hardcore gamer and you have your ca- filthy casual gamer. And Cade's like the filthy casuals. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he, he had the one speech for the hardcore and the one speech for the filthy casuals. And then he's like, and there's loot. And there's loot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that shows that they understand their audience. Like, they yeah. understand. Yeah. I just hope that they put, like, as everyone, I'm sure, has been saying, 
put the lore in game. Yeah. Put totally. it in the game. Bioware has been able to do it. Ubisoft has been able to do it with their um if you play the uh the, 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 the Assassin's Creed and uh yep. se- series like that where they have just the archive of information of people that you meet in places that you go. You know, it's it's doable. It's possible. Put it in the game. Uh, I will say that their companion app was fantastic once I started using it. Oh, where, yeah. Where you could swap out gear from the vault. That was amazing. The first time I saw like a legendary item that I transferred from the vault into my character's inventory, and you see it pop up on your TV screen. Yeah. You're like, oh, there we go. I'm like, <laughs> space magic. <laughs> it, I can't play Destiny now without using that app. It's like... You know, like the other night I was getting in on a, a VOG raid and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, let me just move everything over. Boom. You yeah, know. right. It's like, uh, hold on, I need so, to uh, grab some stuff here. Got to swap this out. No, I'm going to use this gun instead. And uh, all right, we're good to go. Rather so than convenient. having to go back yeah. to the towers like, oh, I got to gotta go back, guys. Hold on, I'll be right there. God, come on. <laughs> yeah. Just be able to swap out. And it worked so well. It did awesome so so are you going to be a day one for uh, destiny 2 i'm contemplating the hundred dollar version right now so that's a yes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) probably so i mean that's the next big game for me is uh you know on the horizon i have you know destiny in september and then i have uh call of duty and star wars battlefront 2 in november yeah so those are those are the big ones for me i know red dead's coming out sometime as well but uh but uh yeah destiny 2 is the next big thing man Mm -hmm. so what all right so the hundred dollar one is that the limited edition i think so it's it's where you don't get the actual man purse and all the other stuff okay so i'm looking (laughs) at oh that's a standard edition Limited edition. What comes in the limited edition? Yeah, you get yeah, the. Looks like some type of. You get the steel it's book. the one that has all the DLC with it. Yeah, you get the steel so, book, the Cabal themed collector's box, houses a booklet on the Cabal themselves, Cabal schematics, military pawns, and collectible postcard images. Cool. And season pass. All right, and uh, if you. If you understand Destiny lore as much as we do, uh, looking at those two expansions that are on the the pass, we see the Eye of Osiris mm-hmm. and something of the War Mines. Pretty sure that's yeah. is that Rasputin's. Yeah, yeah, that's the War Mine. That's the I War believe. Mine. Ooh. You know, because what, what intrigues me about the War Mind one in particular. Because I absolutely suck at PvP, so I never did Trials of Osiris. So I don't really know anything <laughs> about Osiris, other than I uh, I died the first, you know, the only two times I tried the Trials. So the Warmind, in the Rise of Iron, you're you're doing your quests and you uh, talking to Shiro, and Shiro mentions something to the effect of. The Guardians still assume Rasputin is uh, just a war mind. He hasn't been that for a very long time. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Like, just a simple sentence like that, and they just leave it at that. Like, no further explanation, no details, no expanding upon it. Just, it hasn't, he has not been just a war mind in a very long time. 
well, what is he? (laughs) (laughs) He's an AI. No. Obviously, he's an AI, but what is he? What has he become? Is he a he anymore? I don't know. know, The thing that's that's intriguing me even more than that is um, just from the trailer itself and talking about how everything's kind of blown up, the Traveler's busted up. Uh, does that mean that our powers are going to be gone as well? And we're going to be doing or searching for new powers? I believe so. I've watched some stuff. Um, so I listened to the guardian radio podcast and, uh, Bife on there, uh, has his own YouTube channel and he does some fantastic lore videos and he's done one on why the guardians lost their powers. Like, specifically lost their power. So, I don't know if that's just a rumor or it's been confirmed at some point. I believe in some of the the information, when you're looking at purchasing it, it talks about that a little bit. Okay. So, yeah. So, something happens. um, And they note in some of the videos that if you look at the Traveler, it's changed its appearance. So, it's no longer that clean, white, marble kind of looking thing. It's black and like glowing gold. And in, I think, the Bife video, either Bife or Mylan Games, they note that the gold aura is the same pattern and hue as the shields that the new Phalanx are using uh, mm-hmm. with the Cabal. So is it the Cabal that have figured out a way to shield the light energy from coming from the Traveler? To the Guardians. Oh, is that what is blocking our powers? Yeah. So when you die, you're dead. <laughs> something. Yeah, something's going to happen. And this worth noting. Um, at one point during the trailer, one of the Guardians throws off this dog beast looking thing. Yeah. So this is the first time an actual like non-humanoid was... Well, okay, except for the... Uh, the shanks and the servitors, but yeah. an actual like beast uh, was on the battlefield. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what all the cabal throw at us because I feel like we've got so little from them. We got very little of the cabal. They were more like a side faction. They really yeah. weren't explored all that much. They had a pretty prominent role in the Taken King, but other than that, they were just kind of this warring faction that just kind of. Like the big hulking dudes, well, yeah. and the scions, but yeah, really not. We didn't really delve into them much at all. But I remember, I think the lat, like the very last story mission for the taking after you defeat, um, oh my god, Oryx, <laughs> completely blank for a second. So there's those few story missions after you complete or after you defeat Oryx in Regicide. Uh-huh. The last mission is Outbound Signal. And it's a basically a cabal mission on the dreadnought where you trace back, and they're they're sending a signal somewhere out into space, and they're like panicking. Oh dang! Do you remember that? Does yeah, do familiar? Yeah, I haven't played that in a while, so right. But yeah, there's something. There's something there. So that might have been like the lead in because I remember when they were talking about like the final DLC and the final raid. I was like, it's going to be a cabal. It's going to be a Cabal raid because of that outbound signal. But obviously, SIVA, and we just explored a completely unrelated uh, lore topic. Side quest. Yeah, completely <laughs> different you know, sidetrack. 
but I think perhaps that outbound signal will play a role into like the lead into what happens in the in Destiny Two. Yeah. But yeah, I'll. Not only will I be a day one purchaser of Destiny 2, I'm thinking I may actually go with a digital download as opposed to a physical copy. It's a way to go now, man. I mean, you get it immediately. You don't have to wait. You get it immediately, and I still enjoy the concept of physical ownership, but if this is anything like Destiny 1, I mean, I'm going to keep coming back to it. Well, and for me, it's like as a father... If I have less discs or stuff around that my kids can get into, the better. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't want them trying to shove a pizza into my Xbox, you know, or something. So. Yeah, I got yeah. a little time until that comes through, but uh, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's like if I have it stored digitally on the console, I won't have to get up and, you know, swap discs out. So yeah. I, I'll probably actually go a uh, a digital download for this one as opposed to the physical copy. So that's it's kind of a big step for me. You know, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. Dang gummit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting with the times. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to move into the final news item of this podcast. And... Let's just talk about our experiences in Mass Effect Andromeda, now that it's finally here. Ooh, Ooh where to exactly. start? Yeah. So, so Muhorn, you've actually completed the game, correct? I have, and I loved every second of it. Loved every second of it, man. That's oh, so good. Like, we're, Obviously, we're huge fans of this game. If it wasn't apparent by our obvious like gushing currently right now, but we also, <laughs> uh, Buhorn, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, is a returning guest on this show where we discuss all the happenings from N Seven Day. So yeah, we uh, we're obviously biased. Uh, I am not yeah. going to pretend to be objective in this analysis of uh, Mass Effect because it's it's right up my alley as far as story development is concerned. But uh, so, what are your thoughts? Generally speaking. So I loved every second of it. And um, the only thing that I can say I'm a little annoyed with is some of the fans that uh, are saying they wanted a Mass Effect 4. Well, this is not a Mass Effect 4. This is a new story. Yes, it is. It's not going to be the same way. You don't have this BA soldier walking in that already has all this street cred. And I thought they did a fantastic job in the game of showing that. Like, I remember there's one section where uh, Ryder calls a meeting and then everybody just kind of walks out before he adjourns the meeting. And he's like, yeah, yeah, meeting adjourned. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not a major spoiler. That's like pretty much as soon as like you you get everyone on your team type of thing. Yeah. And And uh, so so once you gather your team up, which you do fairly early in the game, um, that calls a meeting. It's like, all right, so this is how things are going to be. And everyone just kind of like wanders off and like does their own thing. (laughs) Like, okay, sure. Meeting over. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But but stuff like that, uh, there was just so many little things, the choices you had to make, the callbacks to the original series. um, So many callbacks. There was one spoiler when you get to uh, the Krogan planet and you talk about O'Keefe and the Krogan and you're talking about uh, having the perfect Krogan. And I was just like, that's awesome. 
Yeah, no, it's like there's there's grunts. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so yeah, they're talking about like all the genetic testing, and you pick up some type of data pad or something. You you read a little bit about Okir. Um, I'm like, oh my god, grunt. And there's there's a bunch of little ones where you've need to you would have to have played every. Like all three of the Mass Effect. Because there's one where I think when you get to Kadara, the exile outpost, uh-huh. um, and you're talking to people there, there's someone is referencing how like they're talking to the Pathfinder, and finally they could shove it into their to the face of their brother Conrad and like see I'm hanging out with important people too like that is <laughs> such a random side story from Mass Effect 1 yeah so random there there was a really good one as well uh, from some of the DLC from Mass Effect 3 I think it was Mass Effect 3 uh, uh, of the Overlord yes I, I, that was just like oh that was so good yeah that, that was, was good, so good. Oh, there's uh, you get to hear Liara Tassoni's voice on a on a pre-recorded archived message somewhere in like one, one of, I think the Pathfinder's quarters, there's a, some voice recorders with Liara to Sony. Um, Oh God, there's another one I wanted to bring up, but I can't remember. Oh, you got Jal, your new alien race buddy. And, uh, the banter between him and PB while you're rolling around in the, and he's trying to learn everything about, uh, whatchamacallit, Milky Way, races and yeah. he's talking to PB saying like I have heard your people refer to a place called afterlife do your people believe in reincarnation as well like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no not exactly <laughs> not, not quite <laughs> yeah I mean I, when I would just think about the story I think um, the beginning of it was was great it just really pulls you in and just being a father as well, seeing the first start of it where, you know, uh, Ryder sacrifices himself for his son to pass on his legacy. Mm-hmm. I was just like, as a dad, I was like, oh, yeah, that hit me in the feels, you know. Right in the feels. That's like a dad move right there, yeah, you know. Is. Yeah, it is. But uh, um, what's getting me in the feels right now, and this is getting really personal, but, um, you know, it's. I can share this. When you're listening to or viewing the the flashback sequences, um, when you're talking to Sam and you yeah. relive past moments of the dad who was like totally committed to his work. Oh, yeah. And he's kind of neglected his family. He still loves his family. He just doesn't know how to show it. Yeah. Uh, because he's so dedicated. That, a little bit in me, uh, I can see in that just because my dad growing up worked nights all the time. So he was just, I mean, I say he's never around. He just worked nights. Um, yeah. I still had to, I was still fortunate enough to have a fully functional family, but, um, you know, he had to sacrifice only seeing his sons on the weekends, basically. Um, yeah. And you get to see from his perspective as well. So you get to see kind of what he was thinking and feeling all that whole time. And you're just like, Oh dude. (laughs) Yeah. It's rough to see it because you see what your kids reactions are. You see what other people's reactions are rather than you just being a, you know, a little punk, you know, like showing, (laughs) you know, showing your distaste and your disagreement with them. You know, you're from the father's perspective and you know, it hurts. It hurts a yeah. little bit to have your ki- your own kids be so um, dismissive. Yeah. Might be the word. 
where it's like, no, I'm doing this for a greater good, and I'm sorry I can't share everything with you. One day. Yeah. One day. That's what all fathers say, all right? One day, you'll know. You'll understand. <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah. Oh, I know. And, yeah, and, like, again, my son is only six months old. I haven't even hit the full year yet. And I'm just waiting for additional moments like that to hit as far as uh oh, great here we go again another you know <laughs> i told you told you so yeah like just wait till your son is your age all right dad whatever i'm like all right well <laughs> crap there might be some truth to this <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know from the like the whole story of it i i've kind of going back to it a little bit again i felt like they did such a good job of establishing a new storyline because you know as much as we loved mass effect one through three you had to have a new story and you couldn't follow in the same footsteps and do the same thing that you did in one through three. And I felt like this one was great because it was, it felt like it was all about exploration, mm -hmm. learning new stuff and the, and the patch that they put out. Oh my goodness. For the space travel. Yes. Where you could fast travel to the planets. I was just like, yes, thank you. It's like you read my mind. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I think uh, you guys mentioned how uh, you can skip some of the uh, the animation. Yeah, yeah. It's you like, can skip, yeah. So if you're going from one planet to the other, uh, instead of just flying there and waiting through that flying scene, you can just skip it and be right at the planet. Which is really pretty the first few times. Yeah. Like, I will admit, it is really cool looking. It's really, I've taken plenty of screenshots. Yeah. But. Yeah. After about 50 of them. <laughs> <laughs> After you're just scanning a place to get 100%, yes. you're like, oh, I, I, I just want to go. <laughs> oh, my God, I don't care. <laughs> keep keep, yeah. keep them moving. Keep them moving. Oh, man. So I think it's about time I start off, or I'm going to dabble in a new segment, which I am going to call something I just completely forgot again. God damn it. <laughs> Something I am going to call censored spoilers. Ooh. All right. So here's what the deal is. I am itching. I am dying. I am desperate to talk about this game and all the choices that I've made so far. Unfortunately, we're still like a month, not even, after the game's release. So I want to avoid as many spoilers as I can. So what we're going to do right now is Mule and I have talked before recording, and he knows pretty much where I am so far, so I won't receive any spoilers, but we're just going to go on a full rant and talk about all the choices that we made so far, and I'll edit everything in post-production and see what happens, because i got a <laughs> feeling this will sound hilarious afterwards. <laughs> so, oh. here we go. Dude. So many Dude. things. Uh, so... so so one I want to start off with is with uh, the the Krogan's name and the remnants. Basically, you either give them the and uh, you become friends with the or you keep it for yourself and your eternal enemies. So what did you do? Uh, I gave them the. Yeah, so did because I. It's stupid to have the your enemy that is a terrible <laughs> idea terrible yeah. idea because we you all know on your side with a vengeance yeah, yeah. Oh, you want God. them on your side 
all right, so there's that one. What were the, okay, so I think it was Vold is the ice planet. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going down Vold, and you're tracking down whatever the <laughs> doing, and you get into one of, like, the giant vaults. I don't think it's the official vault to... <laughs> but you go down, and you get into whatever mining operation that they're working with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you bust through, yeah. and all of a sudden... And there's just everywhere. Yeah. How cool was that room? Yeah. 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 And you go up, and there's this, <laughs> and the thing just, I'm assuming you've done this. Yes. Okay. So there's this, <laughs> and it starts tweaking out on you. Like, it's just going ballistic. And it's freaking out. It's lying to you. Sam is telling you how much it's lying to you. Like, yeah. Oh my. He's lying. Yeah, just <laughs> me now. My is just about run out. Sam pops in. Uh, that guy is like totally lying to you, and has plenty of power. <laughs> yeah. And then that one tries to reach in and like we need to recover this for our own, you know, races research, and it zaps him. And it's like, dude. And you have to do a choice, like right then and there. Do you save? Or do you save the... So what did you choose in that instance? I blew that mofang up, man. That's what I did. I blew it up. <laughs> blew it up. I was like, nope. It, that thing is going down because it was just too... Too much lying. And I was like, I don't care what secrets you have. We can learn them later. So, so you shot the... I blew it up. I shot... <laughs> I was like, you dude, you're not even named. You're like soldier lying on the ground like you're not important <laughs> yeah all right so what's so, the word? i gotta i gotta know what happened after that oh man well i'll let you know so you you shoot that guy and then you go over to the it's like i told you not to mess with me i told you this would happen if you tried to remove my and um you talk a little bit and basically what it demands is it wants to be interesting it wants to be with and of course you got the other end with you and they're like yo this is on our planet this is part of our history it belongs with us what do you do so your choices are give oh, it to them and have them study it like to recover their own lost history or you choose to bring an unstable lying uh onto your ship so Ooh. i've got an eight on my ship right now <laughs> <laughs> of course you do <laughs> because of course i do <laughs> like, i can't let this go i gotta see what happens now <laughs> right oh man oh my god so it's it's items like this that it's like it's totally going to change the course of whatever comes next like these are the types of decisions that are really going to shape future events um, there's a bunch of others, and I, they're escaping my memory right now. But um, that's why I'm gonna have to have a second playthrough, exactly, just so I can see the, all those other choices. And this is why I played through like the original trilogy, uh, one with a male ship and one with a fem ship. Like another one was with uh, loyalty mission, uh, where yeah. you're going through and you have the ancient or the, or the remnant, <laughs> and it comes down to do you shoot. Or her. Ooh. What did you do? I didn't do that. I didn't do all the way for. 
Oh, I just did the no Did I just give a spoiler? No, that's okay because I didn't want to really do it. Oh, okay. Well, you. Because <laughs> I, I was like, you. I did no strings attached like, to whatever ancient uh, remnant is that you're looking yeah. for, and her crazy ex that is always like messing things up for her. From uh, the apartment. It, you basically start sprinting down this one corridor, and everything's falling apart. You know that classic scene, and it comes down to um, they're on this shifting, and it's tipping and drops the core and is like sliding off the opposite side so she has to choose does she go after the core or does she go safe that she obviously still has feelings for so it's like f you and i shot (laughs) (laughs) i'm like "Uh uh-oh we're getting that data nice Nice. (laughs) i'm not playing around with this oh no no you had me fly all around the galaxy and uh deal with all of this extra baggage and you're going to let that <laughs> go to waste Mm-mm. bang uh-uh. the decision is yeah. now made for you go get that <laughs> relieving so did you romance as well um only a brief flirtation i'm actually romancing uh as much as okay I can. you know you can romance more than one person right oh yeah Oh yeah, okay. I've, I had I've, I've played Mass <laughs> Effect uh, before. Where you can just like I had two go- <laughs> ladies, ladies, ladies. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But uh, no, I'm sticking it to just uh, and uh, pun definitely not intended right there. But you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right, so we're going to move into the final segment of this episode. It is the final five. These are five questions that you escaped last time you were on the show. Uh, These are five questions that range from irrelevant to irreverent. They're designed to spark a little bit more random tangent in conversations. Are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, first question. and This uh, will wrap up the podcast for us. Question number one, coffee or tea? Coffee, of course. Coffee, of course. Every morning, if you follow us on Twitter, it's Coffee Ops, bro. That's Every morning. Nice. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number two. Do you do any tabletop gaming? Yes. Um, quite a, Not a ton as much as I'd like to, but uh, I have a bunch of good friends that we do some uh, tabletop games. Nice. What do you um, do? Um, so I'm trying to think of... I can't remember the game, the name of it, but uh, there's one. Gosh, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's a like Catan. Okay, you have. Uh, I'm trying to think of all of them, but I can't think of them off the top of my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, a really good uh, card-based turn game that I play. Let me look it up real quick. All right. I'm gonna go crazy if I don't know it. <laughs> I don't remember it. Dang it! I'd have to pull it out. I can't remember what it's called. Okay, now. not going to worry about but it, I, but you get into the tabletop do, scene. That one and Pandemic is a really good one I just got into, and oh. Pandemic is really cool. Really, really cool. I have, Oh, yes, Pandemic. We have several expansions for it. Yeah, um, it's, it's so good, man. Yeah, it is so good. There are a few, um, I think it's called On the Brink, where it allows to expand up to like five players, I think. I don't oh, know if wow. it expands up to six, but it expands up to five. 
Uh, so you can have one more person, and it brings in a few more character classes and a few more additional mechanics, obviously. So it's a lot of fun. And uh, I suggest you get good at that game uh, because there is something called Pandemic Legacy. Ooh. Oh, yes. So if you're familiar with the concept of the Risk Legacy game, they have a Pandemic version of it where each time you play, the game board will change. So when you have outbreaks um, in Pandemic, uh, you know how like you know the, the diseases like burst into neighboring cities? Yeah. Whenever that happens, the panic level goes up in that city, and you have to add a sticker next to that city. So, like, first one, it's, like, you know, it goes from one to five. So, like, first outbreak occurs, you know, civil unrest happens and nothing really changes. But once you get up to level two, if you have a research center in that city, it gets burned down. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, same thing with three. If you get up to level four, you need to start discarding cards to enter that city. So, as the game progresses, it gets, like, consistently more difficult to uh to play i'm looking at it right now on amazon (laughs) that's how interested i am in it yeah um yeah and the number of funded events cards will change so you start off with four but when you win a game the next game that you play you remove two of those cards because the government assumes they've got the problem under control so they withdraw your funding Interesting. Yeah, but if you fail, the government assumes that you don't have it under control, so the next time you add two cards. Dude, I gotta I gotta try this out. Uh, get, I'm, I'm I'm almost gonna I put will it tell in you my... right now, get good at the original pandemic first and then dip into that. Yeah, because I... I mean it's a fantastic game. I highly recommend it if you're a fan of pandemic. But uh learn the mechanics first because it gets brutal really quick. Oh, man. All right. So, question number three. We got uh, this or that question. Uh-oh. War breaks out across the galaxy and tears a hole in the fabric separating video game franchises. Two alien races have become spearheads of opposing sides. The Krogan of Mass Effect and the Cabal of Destiny. Which warmongering horde reigns victorious? I think that's pretty easy, man. The Krogan. I mean, they can survive. Wow. They can you survive. You came to that quick. Oh, yeah, dude. They survived on a nuclear wasteland of a planet for how long? And so it's for a long time, you know, and they have redundant organs. So they basically can walk around with half of their organs in them. (laughs) Say it like you've got a quad. Uh, A a what? (laughs) And, and, you know, as much as they're both like war races, I think Krogans are just they're made for war, you know? Yeah, they are. Wow, I was expecting oh, like yeah. a heated debate about no this. No way, man. Krogan, no way. <laughs> I mean, the Cabal may have a few better things like tech-wise, but uh, I think the Krogans, they just they would just numbers. I mean, if there's no genophage as well, or if they found a way to cure it, like... Oh, true that. You know, there's no way. There is no freaking way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and uh, one line, when you're talking to Drac after you you see the Archon for the first time. And he's like, we're like, you got to take that guy out quick. Do whatever you can. Drop a nuke. Blow up a sun. Whatever you got to do. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Blowing up a sun. That's that, that's a little much, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> They're down. crazy, man. They're crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so question number four. Uh, are you wearing any pants right now? Shorts. 
Shorts, I'm okay. Almost, I'm almost pantsless. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know we're pantsless podcasts. So. <laughs> yeah, I know Mulehorn Gaming, you might get a little pantsless a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of really warm up here in New York as well. I'm also in shorts. Yeah. And it is fantastic. <laughs> oh, it was a cold winter. Um, but yeah, okay, so final question. Question number five. Who is your celebrity hall pass? Jeez. Uh, so when you say hall pass, what do you mean? Like you're at a convention. Yeah. Or something. And this celebrity is hitting on you. Oh, geez. Who is it that your wife would be like, listen, go for it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I've always had a thing for Liv Tyler. There you go. Yeah. I, I don't know why. There's something about her that I've, I've always had a thing for her. Be like, call up wife and you'd be like. <laughs> Listen, yo, it's lived. Honey, I love you. I love you till death do us part. Yeah. But Liv Tyler just <laughs> slid me a shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is fantastic. All right, let's wrap this thing up. And that is all the time we have for this episode. Time for end of show plugs. You can follow me, Anthony Rossi, on Twitter, Instagram, Xbox One, for now, and Twitch at Hypersyntax. That is H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X. Or you can follow the podcast directly either on Twitter at VGXTPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash VideoGameCrosstalk. This podcast is hosted directly on Podbean and can be found at VideoGameCrosstalk.Podbean.com. As for my guest, Mulehorn, where can our beautiful listeners follow you around uh if you want to follow the podcast guys just check us out on twitter at mulehorn gaming nice yeah and finally if you are a gamer or know a gamer that wants to talk some tech and science news let me know do you know some tech news that you'd like to hear discussed do you have any other general questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show send an email to videogamecrosstalk at gmail.com to give me the deets on what is going down please don't forget to like review subscribe and share this podcast all over your social media accounts and we can be found on itunes stitcher and google play one last time, thank you for hanging out with us. Mulehorn, thank you one last time for joining me. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. All right. And in the words of the Beard Bros over at Mulehorn Gaming, when in doubt, blow it up! <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh. Dude, that's going to drive... I'm still looking for that board game name. I can't remember it. Oh, my God. Oh, and you know what else I realized? I never did my audible interlude. Oh, can you go back to <laughs> so, so we're going to do that right now. There you go. All right, time for an audible... Now we're good. Awesome. I just found the tabletop game. Nice. What you got? Dominion. Ah, Dominion. Yeah, that that also has like a ton of expansions as well. Oh, dude, so good.